Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, in a few short weeks, I am approaching a milestone in life. Um, Eight weeks from last night, I will be turning 60 years old. Yeah, you cheer. You cheer. You just wait. I'm just rapidly approaching old age. I'm not sure when I'm going to hit it, but I know I'm getting closer. I got a long ways to go. I know that. But one of the things that's happened, I found myself being a little bit more reflective. Uh, I don't know. That's probably the reason for it. But I just start thinking a little bit more about my life and my ministry and where I've been and and what I've done and what's ahead and, and all of those kinds of things. And it kind of brought me to what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to start with this question for you is, do you have a picture of what your life should look like? When you come towards the end of your life, what is it that you want to be able to look back on and say, I made a difference. I did something. I think that is a crucial, crucial question because every life ends up somewhere. More often than not, by accident. Because we rarely take the time to stop and think about where am I heading with my life? What am I doing with my life? And it's my my belief that God has a design and an intent and a purpose for every single life. And if you miss out on that, then you miss out not only on God's best for your own life, but you miss out on the contribution that you were meant to make in this world. We are... Closing out the Old Testament half of the story. And we're looking at the last historical book in the Bible. It's not the last last historical Old Testament book. It's not the last, last, let me start over. It's not the last Old Testament book. It is the last historical Old Testament book. It's the book of Nehemiah. And, And Nehemiah discovered God's purpose and direction for his life. And made a difference not only in his own life, in the life of the whole nation of Israel. And that's what we're going to look at because the principles and the things that he discovered that change the direction of his life are the very same principles and things that you and I can put into practice in our own life. And let me give you kind of an update of where we are in the story for those of you who haven't been along with us. Um, The nation of Israel was called by God to be his people, not just so they could go around with bragging rights, but so that they would be a light and a blessing. And in fact, that all of the world and all the nations of the world would be blessed through them. The trouble was they lost their sense of mission and they lost their sense of purpose. And they really actually lost their sense of identity because in their rebellion and idolatry and and rejection of God, he just kept you know, sending prophets and saying, yeah, I'm warning you, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. And they just continued in their own thing, doing their own lifestyle. And God finally said, enough. And allowed the Babylonians to come in, conquered Judah, um, destroyed Jerusalem, carted off all of these people into exile in Babylon. Then after about 70 years, the Persians invaded and took over Babylon and King Cyrus of Persia issued a decree to let the exiles return back to Judah, to return back to Jerusalem. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago in the story uh, in the book of Ezra, how they went back. And the very first thing they did was they started to rebuild the temple. It took them a while, like 20 years, but eventually they got the temple built. And where we pick up the story now at the very end of the Old Testament is it has now been 75 years. The temple's been rebuilt, but it's still been 75 years and the city is still in shambles. 
The walls of Jerusalem are nothing more than piles of rubble. And because of that, the city is not secure. It is not safe. They are wide open to invading marauders and, 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 and people that would come in and just disrupt all of society. And, and the whole thing was just not what it should be. And that's where we pick up the story because Nehemiah is still back in Persia. He did not go back with the exiles. He's back in Persia. But one of his brothers, Hanani, comes back to visit him in Persia. And that's where we pick up the story. So if you want to take your Bibles in, we're in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. Um, if you've got your copy of the story with you this morning, it's page 295. Nehemiah 1.1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile on our back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer, of your, the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. But remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are in the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And the man that he's requesting favor is in the presence of is the king. I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah was just a regular guy. But he became gripped by the things that gripped God's heart. And that began to make a difference in his life. He was concerned about his people. And he knew what God's design and intent for them was. And so in this one moment, all of a sudden, his story starts to link up with God's bigger story. And that's where it starts. That's where you begin to discover God's purpose and God's design for your life. It starts with this simple thing. It's to understand that God uniquely prepares and positions you. But he does it for his purposes in the world. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God had something in mind when he created you. And all throughout your life, he has been shaping you. He has given you gifts, abilities, talents. He has given you a heart and a passion for certain things that are uniquely yours. He has brought you through experiences, even difficult experiences, all a part of how he is shaping your life for his purposes. He is at work in every single life. 
And the first step is recognizing that God is at work in my life. Nehemiah is a regular guy. He's just like you and me. But all of a sudden, something grips his life. What grips him is to hear that his people are in distress. It grips him like nothing ever before. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's often how things start. Something grips you. A concern. You hear about a situation in this world. or You you see something happening in the lives of somebody around you. And all of a sudden, it grips you like never before. And that, that little gripping of your heart is God getting your attention. And it often starts with a concern. And it's the beginning of discovering God's purpose and God's call in your life. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times people think that God's call, that, that's for pastors or, or for missionaries or people who go into some full-time Christian ministry. And that just is not the case. God has a call on each and every one of our lives. I want to tell you about somebody in our church, one of our Northgate family. Her name is Dee Dee Scrivener. Dee Dee Scrivener is a hairdresser. Okay, she worked for years for Supercut. She's been doing it for like 24 years. But about 11 years ago, one day she's working in Supercut's Vallejo. She sees a homeless man walk by and he kind of comes up to the door. He's disheveled. He's all just, you know, just ratty and tattered and his hair's all long. His beard is unkempt, the whole thing. He stops for a moment. He looks inside the door, starts to take a step there and then changes his mind and walks on by. And it just grabbed her in a way that nothing had grabbed her before. And she just thought, you know, there's a lot of people like this guy who can't even get a haircut, can't, can't even look decent. And it just kind of, it stuck with her for a long, long time. And, and it was one of those things, you just, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. You ever felt that way? You ever been gripped by something and said, and said to yourself, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. The somebody just might be you. Because here's what happened with Didi. A number of years later, she happened to be driving down. She was thinking about this and praying about this. She realized that it was one of those God things. She was driving down a street, a street she never drives down. As she was driving down, she saw this trailer for sale. Actually, the guy was just there. He had just put the for sale sign up on the trailer. And she stopped and she thought, well, that might work for something. Talked to the guy. Found out he had just put it up for sale. It was a great deal. She bought the trailer. She thought, I could revamp this thing, repurpose it, and make it a traveling salon. Of course, she didn't know anybody that knew how to work on trailers or how to do all the plumbing or any of that stuff. But God just happened to put somebody in her life who knew that kind of stuff. And so she put together this thing. She got these volunteers. She started what is called D's Mobile Cuts. Once a month, behind the JFK Library in Vallejo, she offers free haircuts to homeless people. Isn't that a cool thing? And, and, and she doesn't just do it once a month that way. Actually, anytime there's an event, the uh, Vallejo Waterfront or any, any kind of, in fact, actually, that's what she's doing today. She's not here at church because she's out giving free haircuts, okay? Because something gripped her and moved her to begin to do something about it. Next time you start, you start thinking to yourself, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. Just stop for a moment and begin to pray, God, is it me? See, Nehemiah is moved when something grips him. And, and notice what he does. The very first thing that he does is he begins to pray. He doesn't just write a check. He doesn't just go off and, and say, well, I'm going to fix it. He, he starts with prayer. In fact, he says, in fact, he says for, for some days I mourned, fasted, and prayed. And this is his prayer. Lord, give ear and be attentive to the prayer of this your servant. 
Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now that's an important thing. God had uniquely positioned him in a place where he actually had access to the king of Persia. Now, he says he did that for some days. You know how long it was? Five months. Five months he prayed that prayer every day. Lord, today grant me success. Lord, today grant me favor. Five months it went on and on and on. But his position as cupbearer to the king, you know what that meant? He was basically the royal guinea pig. Any food that was served to the king always had to be tested for poison. How would you like that job? Okay, that was his job. He tasted all of the food before it went to the king. He got to eat some of the best food, but there was always a chance it could be his last meal. But what it did was it put him in a unique position. He thought, I might be able to do something about this. And he began to pray for an opening, began to pray. And one day, one day, the king notices that he's just a little down today. And he asks him what's going on. He says, my people have returned from exile like they were allowed, but, but the city is still in shambles, and they have no protection, and they're open to marauders and invaders, and, and it's just not a good situation. And, and if it pleased the king, he asked for a leave of absence. Could I go, please, and help the rebuilding effort? And not only does the king give him permission, the king actually sends him with royal paperwork for safe passage and provides him an armed security detail and an unlimited access to, um, to the line of credit at Home Depot of its day, okay? That's what he gets. He actually gets a letter from the, from, to the royal um, um, forest for, for the building materials that he's going to need to rebuild the wall. God does all of that thing. God had uniquely prepared him, had given him this heart and this passion, and then gave him that position where he could have access to the king. And God put all of that in motion. But it never would have happened if Nehemiah hadn't stopped for a moment to think, maybe I'm the answer. So here's the question that I have for you. What is it that grips your heart? What concerns just won't let go of you. Do you have anything like that? You would say, you know, I have thought about this for such a long time, and, and I've always thought somebody ought to do something about that. I want to invite you to start praying, God, is it me? Is it me? Because the first step in finding God's purpose and direction for your life is understanding how he has uniquely prepared you and positioned you, and then begin to pursue that. And here's what you'll discover. Once you start pursuing God's purpose for your life, the one thing you're going to discover is God's purpose for your life is going to require the partnership of others. Because you're not going to be able to fulfill God's purpose for your life on your own. And in fact, the bigger the vision and the bigger that sense of purpose, the more people you're going to need. And Nehemiah understands that. He's not going to be able to build this wall by himself. Now, here's the good news in all of that. In the same way that God is preparing and positioning you, he is preparing and positioning people around you. And when you start talking about it and you start sharing it, you'll find people who have that same passion. And God will start putting together a team. That's what Nehemiah starts to do. He starts to share his vision. He goes with the king's permission and with all that paperwork and all of that blessing and arm detail, gets to Jerusalem. Now, he doesn't right away start you know, recruiting people. He spends the first three days. It says, I spent the first three days. I did not tell anybody what God had laid on my heart. You know what he did for three days? He surveyed the damage. 
He put together a plan. He started looking at what needed to be done and how it might be possibly done. And all through this, it says he was praying that God would show him. And then when he got a good handle on what the need was and he had a good handle on what should be done and how it could possibly be done, then he went to the people and he said to them, you see the trouble that we're in? Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now, notice that. He didn't point out to them something they didn't already know. For 75 years, they had lived with this rubble. They knew what the problem was. It was just nobody ever said, let's do something about it. And, and by the way, that will often be the case. You won't have any great new insight. You will just have this stirring that will stir other people. And things that everybody else all around said, yeah, you know, I've thought about that too. But I never thought we could do anything about it. Nehemiah starts to share that vision. Not only that, he says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. He doesn't just point out the problem. He also points out God's hand is in this. You can't believe what the king did. Not only did he give me permission, he gave me the credit card to Home Depot. He gave me the, the safe passage. He gave me an armed escort. He's got, he, God has provided through the king all of these things. You know, when you start looking around at the ways that God has worked in your life, you begin to see God's hand is in this. We have discovered that together as a church. If I had a couple of hours, I could sit down with you and tell you story after story after story of a need that came up and how God supplied it. From all the way back, I've, and I've, some of these, I feel like I've told these stories way too often. I probably don't tell them often enough. But all the way back from the very first, when we, the very first building that we wanted to meet in, and we, we needed $1,000 to be able to, to lay the carpet, to be able to move in, and we were totally out of money. And that very day, as I met with the guy that would do the carpet laying for $1,000, that very night, I went to the post office box. In there was a letter from somebody I don't know from North Carolina, and in there was a check for $1,000. And God provided that. Do you know, do you know some, most of you know this, but some of you do not know, the property that we meet on, this campus, this 20 acres of land that we own here, we got this as a donation. It came as a gift. We did, we, I think we paid $1 because we had to have a transaction of some kind. You know why that happened? Because somebody in our church was uniquely positioned with a, in a company that owned all the property around here and approached the, the, the president of the company and said, My, the church that I'm a part of is interested in maybe buying some land. Do you think we would be interested in selling it. And what happened was the president of the company said, well, couldn't we just make that a donation? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, yeah, I think we could do that. <laughs> and there has just been story after story after story of things like that where we have come up against things and God has just sovereignly provided. God's hand is in it. When you see God's hand in it, you begin to understand this isn't just about me. You see, the thing is, when you start pursuing God's direction and God's purposes for your life, you're going to find out, first of all, you're going to need a lot more people to help make it happen, and you're going to absolutely be dependent on God to provide. And that's what he does. God provides. And so they start work on the wall, and he kind of breaks it down. He gets different families and different tribes to all take a section of the wall, and everybody chips in. Everybody gets involved. And if you go through Nehemiah chapter 3, there's a lot of lists of names of people whose names you cannot pronounce um, that talk about different sections of the wall. There was even a family that took on the dung gate. That's what it was called. 
You can imagine why it got that name, okay? But there were some people say, hey, we'll work on the dung gate. <laughs> and, and go through all of chapter 3. Family after family, each took a section. Except this one thing. In verse 5 it says, the next section was prepared, repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. It was a small segment. He said, nah, I think we'll pass. Nah, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. You see, they didn't catch the vision. They didn't have that sense of purpose. And by the way, that's what happens with Christians who don't have a sense of purpose and mission about their life. They begin to think that it's all about them. That the church exists as an institution to meet their needs and take care of their families. And they become very, very critical if it's not being done the way they think it ought to be done. And, 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 and people without a sense of vision, without a sense of mission, they are the biggest critics. I once heard somebody say, you know, if you're rowing the boat, you don't have time to rock it. <laughs> and if you're a boat rocker, let me tell you, you are missing a sense of purpose in your life. Because your purpose is not to be a critic. I can guarantee you, God's purpose for your life is bigger, 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 bigger than that. And these people decided, no, I'm, I, I like to enjoy the benefits. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be happy to live in this city when the walls are built, but I don't want to be a part of it. And in fact, actually what happened is some of them, some of them actually sought to see, use it to their advantage. Because as these people are giving their time and attention to building the walls, they're neglecting their own businesses. And they're neglecting their own farms because they can't do both. And, and so what's happening is um, they don't have money to buy food for their own families, to provide for their own families. So they're going to have to borrow money. And this one group of, of the nobles who had the money, what they started doing is they started making loans, like payday loans, high interest loans, just so people could buy food for their families. Nehemiah said, okay, that's enough. It's bad enough that you won't share in the work, but you're not going to use this to your advantage. And he actually confronted them. He went to them and he said, listen, what you are doing is not right. It's not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God and avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? You see, when we let our, our priorities and our purposes and our agendas take the place of God's, everybody suffers. The church becomes a laughingstock. And worse, God's purposes are not accomplished. When you discover God's purpose for your life, when you start taking that thing that grips your heart and you start praying, God, where do you want me to be a part of the solution? He starts to bring other people into your life that he's been doing that same thing with. And when you begin to unite, then God's purposes thrive in unity and hard work. And the bottom line is this, when, that God's purpose for your life is really part of his grander purpose in this world. See, what Nehemiah understood was broken walls wasn't just about a building project. Because broken walls meant a broken society. It meant broken people, broken lives. And they had lost their sense of purpose as God's people. And he knew one of the biggest things was to just get them protected and so the building project was about much more than just building walls. It was about providing safety and security so that God's people could be the redemptive people that he had called them to be. 
It was a much bigger thing than building projects. You know, we've been talking about a building projects around here, and we just, keep want, we just keep wanting to remind people it's not about just building a building. It's about fulfilling God's mission and purpose for us as a church so that more and more people can discover what it is that God has for them. And that's the thing that Nehemiah understood. And so he says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, of Elul 52 days. When our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. See, all the people around began to realize this is a God thing. Now, the walls have been rebuilt, but the job's not done because now there needs to be a rebuilding of the society. Now there needs to be a rebuilding of people's lives. And so now that they are safe and secure, the next thing Nehemiah does is he calls all the people together. And he calls Ezra to bring out the scroll of the law. And he has all the people gathered together there in Jerusalem. And they stand for over five hours as Ezra reads from the word of God. And it says they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And their society was rebuilt. And their lives were rebuilt. And the one thing that Nehemiah did not have that we have as an advantage is what Nehemiah was looking forward to in God's redemptive work is something that we saw accomplished already in Jesus Christ. Because that's what God is doing in this world. He is in the process of redeeming it. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's what God's doing in this world. That's his grand plan. That's his big God story. And you and I have a part in that. But it means being gripped by the things that grip his heart. It means carrying the concerns that concern God. What is God concerned about? People. Bottom line, he cares about people. People who don't know him. Now, I care about people. Actually, I care about one person. <laughs> Me. More often than not. That's the one person I care about. And it comes up all the time in my life. Not too long ago, I told you I'm doing this remodel of my bathroom, and it's taking forever. And it's one of those things, you know, you get right in the middle of a project, and you're missing one piece. So I run down to Ace, and there, you know, and of course, it's a Saturday, and it's crowded. And I'm there, and I'm standing, and there's a line, and there's like two registers open and three that are closed. And this one guy at the one register, he's doing an exchange, and he's having a problem with the exchange. And the greeter, she's standing there over by the door, and she's just greeting people, and there's closed registers right here. And I'm just standing, saying, why doesn't somebody come and open the register? Why didn't this guy get his act together? Why don't these people keep moving along? Because the only person I really cared about is me. Now, none of you have that problem, I know. But the truth is, more often than not, that's what grips our hearts. That's our concern. God's heart is bigger than that. Do you know that within a 15-minute drive of this location where we are meeting this morning, Within a 15-minute drive, there live over 150,000 people. Most of them do not know 
and have not experienced the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. You know what the most unchurched segment section of, of, of the United States is? The West Coast. And of the West Coast, you know what is the most unchurched? California. On any given Sunday, on any given weekend, there is roughly 14.8% of the population of California involved in a church gathering. If you go to Northern California, it goes from 14.8 to just a little over 12%. And if you go just to the Bay Area, it drops under 10%. We live in one of the most biblically illiterate spiritually confused parts of our country and 150,000 of them live within a 15-minute drive of where we're meeting this morning that ought to grip your heart because it grips mine that's why we started this church because there are thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people who do not know that there is a God who loves them who gave his life on a cross so they could be redeemed and forgiven and reconciled back to God. That ought to grip our hearts. I pray that it grips mine every day. Because those aren't just statistics. Those are your friends and my friends. Family members, co-workers, classmates. So that's what I just want to leave you with this morning. What is it that grips your heart? Is your heart gripped by the things that grip God's heart? Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.